to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. We'll focus on legal technology, knowledge management, law libraries, automation, and the business of law. Today's guest is Joshua Browder, the founder and CEO of Do Not Pay, a robot lawyer startup that helps customers fight parking tickets and obtain refunds from airlines. Do Not Pay has saved their customers an estimated $15 million in parking fines alone. Time Magazine proclaimed Do Not Pay as the, quote, hero the world needs, and the BBC nicknamed it the, quote, Robin Hood of the Internet. You'd never know this because of how advanced his thinking is on these very complex issues, but Joshua is in his early 20s. In this episode, we talk about chatbots tailored to specific legal problems, the challenges in creating robot lawyers, and how technology can address exploitative industries in pro-consumer ways. Joshua, I really want to thank you for joining us on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a big fan. It's a real pleasure to have you on. I know you've given a lot of interviews, and it is because of a technology that you've built that I want to spend some time talking about today called Do Not Pay. And I think a lot of our listeners know exactly what Do Not Pay is, and they might have even used it before. But for our listeners who may not know exactly what it is, I want you to give us a kind of a 35,000 foot view of what do not pay is. And then I'd like to get in and wrestle with some of the greater implications of technology like do not pay. Sure. So it actually started out as do not pay parking tickets. When I turned 18, the driving age in the UK, I was a really terrible driver and parker as well. And I got a huge number of parking tickets. And after about maybe the fifth ticket, my parents said to me, you're on your own. You have to pay for your own fines. I didn't have the money to pay these expensive parking tickets. And so I had to figure out other ways to get them dismissed. And it wasn't long before I became a sort of guru in my area. And all my family and friends were asking for my help. And I've loved software. And I thought, why not create an app that gets you out of your parking tickets? And I could never have imagined that three years later, it would have successfully appealed over $15 million. And so this made me realize that the idea of automating the law is bigger than a few parking fines. So it went from do not pay parking tickets to do not pay lawyers. And now I'm trying to make the law free for everyone. And when you were developing that technology in the UK, you know, related directly to parking tickets, what were the first steps you took? Did you initially envision chatbots as the way to automate the law? Did you experiment with different mediums? Absolutely not. It started out, I actually wanted to get other lawyers to help me with my own tickets, but they started saying, well, we'll charge you £60, which is like $80 to get out of your parking fine. And I didn't have the money to pay the ticket or the lawyers to help me. And so I thought about how to get around it. So the good news is, although the government is generally very bureaucratic and terrible, they keep a record of everything. And so I trawled through all of these obscure government documents to find the top reasons why parking tickets are cancelled. And I thought, if it works for all these people, why can't it work for my own tickets? And then I began applying those regulations to my own fines. 
Did you seek out to create a kind of a database of potential outcomes for parking tickets? And the idea of your early version one of your technology is figure out in the flow chart that you create how to get a parking ticket dismissed, kind of put it into the flow chart and out pops an email or a form letter with the proper reason for dismissal. Exactly. It plays a game of like 20 questions with you to figure out what's wrong with your parking ticket. And initially, I came up with these 12 top reasons. And it will ask you these questions to figure out if one of those applied to you, then takes down a few details and uses those details to fill up a generic template letter, which will hopefully get you out of your fine. You, in effect, had to become kind of master of the local municipal parking law in your region. Because you had to really get into the weeds, as you mentioned, the government documents all of the reasons why parking tickets are dismissed. You had to learn all of that, in effect, right? Yes. And I've always loved getting out of rules and stuff. And so it was a fun thing to learn. Interesting. Interesting. So you mentioned that it's now caused the dismissal of over $15 million in parking tickets. What was your rise from an 18-year-old student I know you're not too much older than that now, Joshua, but now to a student at Stanford University, tell us the story of how you got to where you are now with Do Not Pay as a a very impressive legal technology company. So I sent the first version of the website, it was donotpay.co.uk back then, now it's donotpay.com to a few of my friends. And miraculously, they started winning their tickets and they passed it on to their friends who passed it on to their friends. And then eventually a blogger picked it up at the Huffington Post. As a result of her post, it went viral like you've never seen before. Every major news outlet started covering it. And all of a sudden, I started getting usage from like thousands of miles away from where I live. This made me realize that parking tickets hurt me a lot, but it turns out it's a global problem where people are really getting taken advantage of by their local governments. So the first thing I did was I expanded it to be worldwide. It now works in the US as well. And then I decided to go after other areas of the law, like delayed flights or fighting your landlord. And so now it can produce over 300 different types of legal documents. And I'm really getting into exciting new products like lending and insurance, just so that the average person never has to see a lawyer. Obviously, in the corporate world, you probably still need to have a lawyer. But for the average person, I don't want them to have to spend huge amounts to get access to justice. And I want to get into the kind of future of do not pay. And I'm very interested in your work on insurance and lending. I want to ask a more foundational question, though, and that is, out of all of the world's computer science students in every continent on the globe, why do you think it was you who had the right mix of interests and skill to come up with a product like do not pay? What is it about your background that made you be the person who took on that challenge? Well, the reason I love computer science and programming is that in traditional industries, you have to spend 20 years before you can change anything. But with computer science, with just an app or a website, you can create something that has a huge impact and kind of circles around all the rules and existing establishment. When it first launched, lots of lawyers said, there's no way this is going to work. Technology can't really replace what we're doing. But it turned out that that's actually not the case and that with something very simple, you can tackle really complex problems. And so I've always loved to like change things around in society, and technology has been the greatest thing, way to do that. What do you think the limits are of chatbots? 
even before we we tackle that, I'd love just to kind of a baseline definition from, you know, an expert in this field of the term chatbot. And in addition to that, the general kind of category that you would put do not pay in if it's not chatbot technology. So I have a very broad definition of a chatbot. I think a bot is any piece of software that speaks to you and has a conversation with its users. And that can be everything from a conversation via buttons and a guided workflow to one that we're seeing on Facebook Messenger where it's a true text-based interaction. I think what separates a good chatbot from a bad chatbot is that the good ones have a very specific purpose, whereas the bad ones say, I can do everything, just enter a text here and I'll manage to solve it because I don't think that technology is at the stage yet where it can solve everything. So how tailored does a good chatbot, in your definition, how tailored does it need to be? I mean, for example, the do not pay chatbot in your municipality in the UK would certainly not be the same parking ticket chatbot that you would use over in Palo Alto at Stanford University. Do you need thousands or maybe even millions of chatbots? I think that like all good pieces of software, it should only present the output that's relevant to you. One thing that I've seen, though, that ch why chatbots are amazing for the law is that everyone's legal issue is very unique to themselves, or at least they think that it's unique to them. For example, when I help people in the UK, they say the signage was hard to understand, or they'll say that differently, like I couldn't read the road markings. In both of those cases, the legal defense is actually the exact same, but the user can feel special in that what they say to the software is relevant to them, even though the output is the same. If there was just a button set that said the signage was hard to read, users might not think that that would apply to them, but in reality it does. And so you can take a wide range of inputs with the same output, and that really helps people. Do you think that practicing attorneys who are handling insurance and lending cases on the consumer side and landlord-tenant cases that are fairly template-driven and rote should be concerned right now? Should they be worried? for their jobs in a world where chatbots may be replacing them in some ways? Absolutely. I, I don't think chatbots will be arguing in the Supreme Court anytime soon, but I just look at the parking ticket example. Before Do Not Pay existed, there were actually like dozens of these services that would actually appeal your parking ticket for you in the UK. And they would charge maybe 50% of the cost of the ticket. Since Do Not Pay launched, Lots of them have gone out of business and there's now no real reason to use them because you can just generate a template letter for free in under 30 seconds yourself. And so I think it's not about taking jobs. It's just about making an exploitative industry free. And I hope all of those attorneys will actually go to higher levels of the law and then gradually the whole of the law can be made free in the long run. What drives your interest in access to justice? I mean, you just talked about how you think the law should be accessible to anyone who needs an attorney. Is there a core principle driving you in that? The core principle, I think, is that nobody really cares about the consumer. In the world, there's so much being done for big businesses and helping them automate things. But for the consumer, nothing is really going on in terms of making things free. And I stumbled upon this by accident. When I started my parking ticket version, lots of people came to me and assumed I was a lawyer and I could help them with everything. And so people were coming to me who were recently made homeless or um, were having problems with their landlord or pensions. And all of this made me realize that there's this huge number of problems with the legal industry. No one is tackling them. 
it's just getting more expensive rather than less expensive. How sophisticated can chatbots get? What are the limits? I mean, you, you mentioned the extreme ranges, right? At one end, you might have something as easy to automate as parking tickets. On the other end, you might have an oral argument in front of the Supreme Court. At what point do you think the sophistication of the area of law supersedes anything a chatbot can handle? Lots of lawyers say that the law is very sophisticated and hard to understand, but I think that's only the case because it's very unfair. In reality, if it were a fair situation, all cases should are the same kind of substance should be ruled in the same way. But that's not the case because you have biased judges and all sorts of resource problems that feed into it. And so in the long run, I think if the legal system becomes more fair, then people will go into court and they'll have um, Apple AirPods or whatever earpiece they have. And there won't be any lawyers. They'll just be AI advising them. And I think that's definitely going to happen in the next 15 years or so. That's an amazing concept. I mean, can you elaborate on that a bit? I take it that you mean there will be kind of real-time intake of whatever is being spoken in open court and an immediate turnaround of cases or legal theories that it would be prudent for the, the consumer to deliver in court. Exactly. And if they need any advice, they'll just tap into the um, earpiece that only they can hear. And it will be live. And that's my vision for Do Not Pay in the long run. What challenges do you think Do Not Pay is going to face as it tries to pursue this, this reality? Well, there's a huge like systemic challenge in the sense that some judges will only accept forms that only they created. For example, if you go to like Dallas Small Claims Court, there are forms specific to that court. And there are about, I, I, I don't know, 10,000 small claims courts in the country. And so creating all of those forms to suit different processes is really difficult. I think we need to meet halfway. On the one hand, I think that it can't all come top down in the sense that even if the regulations change and we create this unified legal system, there's still a lot of programming to do. But on the other hand, we need to actually have systemic changes to make this happen. For example, one centralized bank of forms per state. To what extent do you view the future of law? as guided by AI as opposed to being replaced by AI technologies. And I'll, I'll put chatbots certainly under that, that umbrella. Can you conceive of a law firm that has attorneys who are guided in real time by AI as opposed to a number of technology companies, do not pay among them, creating the chatbots and tools for consumers to then go argue the cases on their own behalf? I think it will be a mix, and I think the line is drawn between consumer and enterprise. On the one hand, I think that some of these corporate disputes are probably 30 years away from being understood by AI. But on the other hand, consumers' issues really aren't that complicated. Everyone leads like a very similar life in terms of their interaction with the legal system. Everyone seems to get parking tickets. Unfortunately, lots of people get divorced, have problems with their landlords. All of these issues are fundamentally the same. So I think it will replace a lot of consumer-facing attorneys who aren't really practicing law anyway. They're just copying and pasting documents. But I don't think it will replace all lawyers in the sense of Supreme Court arguments with like Microsoft antitrust litigation. To what extent have you taken a look at malpractice and the issues of a chatbot malfunctioning in some way and misleading a client, let's say in a divorce action or an insurance action, what recourse does a consumer have when he or she is, is led astray 
by a chatbot? And to what extent have you thought about that? It's really a big issue for me. I, I try and go after the areas where it's clear cut and surefire way to help people. I don't think people can really get in trouble by submitting the wrong parking ticket letter. All the laws in the documents are valid and I actually have attorneys create them initially before we make them free through software. I think that the malpractice concern in legal tech is generally overblown though. I think that a lot of the malpractice cases relate to like attorney alcoholism or missing court dates and things like that, not necessarily all fraud. I don't think that it's necessarily to do with the accuracy of the laws and the documents. And so I haven't actually seen a single case and we've helped hundreds of thousands of people where they've said, you've misled me, the documents aren't right. And what other kinds of complaints do you get from folks who've used Do Not Pay? You know, when they use your your product, I, I'm sure the vast majority love the tool. I mean, I've only heard and seen good things about it online. But when someone does not enjoy using the tool or like the tool, what do they say to you? I'm imagining that some folks say, you know, it is kind of unsettling to communicate with a, a chatbot as opposed to an attorney who's a human being. Yeah. And a lot of people say that it's unethical to put these systems on steroids. By that, I mean that parking tickets obviously punish lots of wrongdoing and perhaps allowing people easy access to appeal encourages bad behavior. And so one has to worry about the processes as well as what you're automating. Because if you're just automating a bad process, then that can lead to kind of negative outcomes for society. So lots of people say that perhaps you're actually being too aggressive in my interests for this parking ticket. I wouldn't have mind paying it. I was in the wrong, but you got me out of it. It doesn't really seem right. On the other hand, I think that parking tickets specifically are extremely unfair and the fines should be much lower. But a lot of people say that just automating kind of negative behavior can have bad outcomes. One of the things that I've heard you say in interviews that you've provided is that you view law as society's operating system. I want to get into that because I think it applies in a lot of ways to what you just said. What do you mean by that? And how do you approach that from the eyes of a computer scientist? Law is basically why society works. When we cross the street and there's a red light, law is the reason that the cars just don't keep going through the red light and stop for us. And so I think that it's really a valuable tool. On the other hand, it definitely has a lot of bugs. With operating systems, you expect them to uh, kind of act consistently. But on the other hand, two judges can have completely different rulings for the same case. And so I think as a software engineer, making sure that everything is consistent and you know where you're going with a certain case is what's really important to me. Everyone should have equal access to the same process. And unfortunately, if you hire a lawyer at the moment who happens to know the judge or know when the judge likes things filed, that can give you an advantage where there shouldn't be one. And so my aim is to make everything fair, no matter how much resources you have, which is how an operating system should operate. You don't have certain programs getting advantage over other ones. Joshua, I know that you, uh, you know, having met you and having heard you speak, I know you have very noble intentions and idealistic intentions with the kind of democratization of law. Do you think there is an opportunity here for some software developers to act as profiteers and advertise their chatbots in a way that could take advantage of 
underprivileged people or people who are in an exceptionally tight spot who may not have any other place to turn. I think, unfortunately, we're already seeing that in a huge way. Technology first is used by criminals and scammers before it's used in the mainstream. For example, if you search like payday loans on Google, there are like millions of payday loan websites that really exploit consumers. And so I think that actually the reason we need things like do not pay is because we need software to fight against all of this terrible stuff happening online. There was this huge payday loan company that just got shut down because they would take like double the um, agreed upon fees. And so there are like millions of people working in an industry to exploit people. I'm saying we need software engineers to come and fight them. So right now, I know that you have, I think, relatively recently created a kind of an open source chatbot system that allows anyone to come in and create their own chatbot. What are some surprises that you've seen with respect to chatbots that have been created on your platform? Uh, Where have you observed need where you didn't know there was need? My favorite bot that someone created, so I've seen many useful cases where lawyers have created bots in, for example, expungement, helping generate uh, bankruptcy letters. But my favorite one is actually a bot that helps medical marijuana users not get harassed by the police. I think that's really interesting because I only see a certain perspective, but the law touches everyone. And so I've seen hundreds of different use cases that touch things like medical marijuana, which I didn't even know was an issue. You alluded to this briefly, Joshua, but where do you see do not pay going in uh, 10, 15, 20 years, aside from expanding out to the areas of insurance and lending? And I know you got a lot of very favorable press for some work that you did creating a chatbot for the Equifax consumer complaints. And so it seems like you're already heading in the direction of consumer financial protection. Aside from new areas of law, Where are Do Not Pay's chatbots going when you are in your 30s and 40s? I dream of a world where consumers don't even know the word lawyer exists in the sense that people say, what what, we used to pay people to do that? That's crazy. Like You can just press a few buttons and do it. And so everything that a consumer would ever want in relation to the legal industry or government, I want Do Not Pay to automate. And so that's within the next 10 years. Within the next 20 years, I really want to get into this futuristic court setting where consumers, it doesn't even have to be a headset. It can actually just be something that like vibrates in that there's this new MIT device where you can actually hear things without sound. You just put it on your head and that should give you all the legal advice you need. And so consumers, in my opinion, should never have to deal with a lawyer again. And I hope that will make the world a more just place. With Equifax, It was truly amazing. There were people with no legal representation with documents generated by Do Not Pay up against like the Deputy General Counsel of Equifax. And they would win against a legal team with a budget in the tens of millions. And so I think in that situation, it's about the fair outcome prevailing. And I hope that by automating so many areas of the law, the fair outcome can prevail all the time. It's a very ambitious aim, but that's what I hope to do. What is the business model of Do Not Pay and how did that business model change over this kind of long-term period of time? It's not a legal tech business model. I believe that the reason no one's done this before is not necessarily because the technology isn't there. Generating documents doesn't require cutting-edge AI. I think the reason is actually 
you can't charge consumers for the documents. In the past, there have been these companies that charge you like $10 a document or $500 a document, and consumers aren't willing to pay to get their rights. And so do not pay will remain completely free to consumers. In the long run, I think the business model is actually creating services relating to who you're trying to fight. For example, I can imagine a day that, so do not pay already helps fight airlines. Maybe one day do not pay airlines exist. Obviously, it's a long way from that. And there are some industries where it's much easier to do that than others, like lending and insurance. But ultimately, I want to replace the services that I'm fighting. And that may seem very ambitious, but I see all the pain points in the industry. And hopefully, I've got lots of loyal users who I've helped fight their existing brand. And so now they trust me to provide that service. As you grow, do not pay in the legal sphere. Are you targeting any other areas, you know, other professional services for, for that matter, accounting, consulting, anything else like that? Or are you committed to kind of legal solutions at this point? I think that one of the biggest problems with legal tech is everyone is confined to this industry. But in reality, the law touches everything. For example, tax law is more about accounting than I think it is about legal understanding. And so I'm not confined to anything. I believe that you can touch accounting, medicine, consulting, and I think it will touch a lot of these areas because to actually have a good experience and automate everything, you need to have an understanding of the peripheral industries that surround an area. What has the response been from practicing attorneys to the tools that you are developing? Have, have you picked up on any themes? I'm guessing that <laughs> welcoming you with open arms is likely not one of them? Well, I actually received an email yesterday from a, a random email from an attorney saying that I should be going to jail for unauthorized practice of law because I'm not a lawyer myself. And so there are two groups of attorneys who don't like what I'm doing. Both have very conflicting opinions. There's the one group that say that what I'm doing is the most dangerous thing that's ever existed and I should be going to jail. And there's the other group that says, that's kind of dismissive saying that parking tickets doesn't really prove anything or fighting Equifax doesn't prove that you can have AI arguing in court. And so both of them kind of disagree with each other, but they both attack me face on. I'm not really concerned with the critics because I feel like there are so many positive people who would really care about access to justice and hopefully we can work together to move things forward. Have you gotten any pushback from the bar associations across the United States? Have you gotten any nasty emails from them directly? Do you feel like, and it related to those, those questions, do you feel like you are heading towards a clash with these, these very you know, kind of vested interests with respect to the practice of law? There are very few business advantages to having a completely free public service. But one of them is in all of the UPAOL regulations, it's actually contingent a lot of the time on charging people. And so because it's a completely free public service, this hasn't really been seen before in the sense of regulation. And so it's actually, in my opinion, this is actually a loophole in the sense that if your service is free, it avoids a lot of the um, bar association regulations. That is a very interesting loophole. You know, we, we've spoken about this a bit earlier, but you mentioned or maybe you were asked in interviews about robot law firms. What do you mean by that? And how is that different from chatbots? Is a robot law firm like a group of chatbots that can kind of refer an issue from one, one bot to another bot? Are all these chatbots kind of interlinked so they know when to push a consumer from bot A to bot B? 
Exactly. I think for the consumer, a robot law firm will be like Siri in the sense that you ask it a generic question because you don't know which legal bot that can help you because you don't understand the law. A consumer doesn't. And so they actually need to be referred to the specific bot that can help them. There's two types of robot law firms. There's the consumer type, which is all software. And then on the other hand, there's like an enterprise type where it's just a few lawyers and using software, they can actually automate a huge amount of their workflow and focus on things that matter. And so those two types, I think we'll see in the future. How big is Do Not Pay right now with respect to headcount? And how many lawyers are you are you working with in your expansion to insurance, lending, and other areas of law? Currently, it's a team of six. And we actually have a law firm that's part of the company, Wilson Sonsini, which is a top law firm. I don't know if they are AM100, but they've been extremely helpful. I don't hate all lawyers. In fact, a lot of lawyers will actually be required in legal tech to move this forward. I love to think that there's no better time to be a lawyer who understands software. Very interesting. Very interesting. I've got one last question for you, Joshua, and that is, what are some of the most encouraging trends that you're seeing in legal technology and the legal industry right now? We've spoken about this, but my biggest thing I'm excited about is non-lawyers entering legal technology. I think in the past five years ago, you didn't see a single legal tech company founded by someone without a law degree. But now you're actually seeing dozens and dozens pop up almost every month from people who maybe are an expert in medicine or um, different fields that are not the law. For example, I have some friends who are Stanford Medicine students who are automating the FDA legal process, and they have no legal background. And so I think we're going to see this explosion of legal tech, not because the technology has changed, but because the people are changing. It's gone from these like very uptight lawyers to people like me who have no experience in the legal field, which obviously holds us back. But on the other hand, it drives us forward in that we're not encumbered by the establishment and the way things have been done for the past 100 years. Joshua, you're up to some really remarkable and incredible things. I want to thank you on behalf of the Modern Lawyer podcast for joining us. And as always, we're going to be uh, keeping a close eye on what you're working on next. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you, and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag modernlawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.